For our confessional reading, I'll be asking the questions of Heidelberg questions 116 and 117 from Lord's Day 45. You can find this on page 893 of your hymnal. I will ask the questions and we can respond as a congregation. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. Question 117. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart that no other God than one true God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it. God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Psalm 116 neatly sets forth the central points of Heidelberg Catechism questions 116 and 117. It sets forth um, a lot of answers to the question we often ask, why should we pray? To give you a bit of a context here, Psalm 116 is the fourth song in a a mini collection of the Psalter known as the Egyptian Hallel. The striking difference from the other psalms in this group, however, is that Psalm 116 is written from one individual's point of view. However, the Jewish people saw this individual experience of deliverance, they saw it as as a reflection of their communal deliverance, their, their deliverance as a congregation from death, the Egyptian slavery so often and quickly brought down upon them. The message of Psalm 116 fits with the comforting words that the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 3. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. See a strong, continuous message, therefore, from Psalm 113 to Psalm 115 as God looks down upon his people in love, and this is continued then in the psalm that we have before us this evening. God delivers them from Egypt. He brings them through the wilderness. He brings them into the promised land. He shows himself to be so much greater Then those idols back in Egypt, then a golden calf that had to be formed and then ground into powder. 
As we get ready to read this, children, I'd like you to be on the lookout for four words. The first one is love. I'd ask the question, why is it that the psalmist says we love God? The second one is Sheol. This is the realm of the dead. When you go to a funeral and they put the person in the ground, this is like Sheol. It's not speaking always in the Bible of hell, not always of the grave, but we could just generalize it and call it the realm of the dead. It's it's specifically not heaven, though. Third one is the simple. These are people who don't know or understand how to deal with difficult challenges. Of course, that describes us a lot, doesn't it? So love, Sheol, the simple, and lastly, rest. I was asked just before coming this afternoon if I had a rest by a young lady. And I said, yes, I did. But this is not that kind of rest. This is a spiritual rest. A rest not for our body, but a rest for our soul. True rest can only be found in Jesus. So before we read this passage, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for every word that you have given to us. Every last word of the scriptures, we need every last word. And we thank you for the one that you have given to us, which is spread before us like a feast. Help us to understand it, Lord. To share in the sense of gratitude and praise that expresses it is expressed here in the psalmist-inspired words. But more than that, we ask that your spirit would work these same heart attitudes, these same responses in our own hearts by grace. Open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your law and sanctify us by your truth, for your word is truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant word, reading from Psalm 116. I love the Lord, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me, I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. 
I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he write its eternal truths upon all our hearts. So what belongs to a prayer that pleases God? Well, as you well know, the first is that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who has manifested himself in his word for all things he has commanded us to ask of him. That's the very first point that is demonstrated in Psalm 116. This is... Not a psalm, this psalm is not a treatise on prayer. It's not really even a prayer exactly. It's more of a meditation on prayer at times. Uh, it seems almost at times to be a reflection on the importance of prayer. I dare say that little attention often is given to prayer. It is, as our confessions say, one of the means of God's grace to us. And what that entails is that God wants to give His grace to us. And one of the ways in which He does this is through prayer. We also have the Word and we have the sacrament. But tonight we're focusing not just on the Word, but also on the subject matter of prayer. It is a means of God's grace. Children, you can think of it in some way like this. Your, your mom and dad want to give you good things. They want to feed you, for example. They want to give you good clothes. And one of the things that they want from you is you to ask them for the things that you need. If you're hungry, they want you to tell them that, they are, that you are hungry. When you are cold, they want you to tell them so they can put a coat upon your back. Prayer is much like this. It is a means of God granting to us His grace. And so it answers the question that you can find in your bulletin, why ought we to pray? Why ought we to pray? We will look at two points in this passage. We'll break the psalm into two. The first will be verses 1 to 11, the contents of our prayer. And then verses 12 to 19, the necessity of of our prayer. To do so, however, we're going to have to take these catechisms in reverse order, not because there's not a good logical order for the way they're in, but we'll tie them here together with this Psalm 116. We'll address Psalm 117, or uh, question 117 first, the contents of our prayer. Why ought we to pray? It begins with, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. It answers the question kind of right out the gate. It does not leave you to doubt. Why ought you to pray? Well, because you love God. You want to talk with him. You want to give him your thankfulness. You want to give him your requests. You want to pray in according to his will. So why do we pray? We pray because we love God. I love the Lord. And why do I love the Lord? 
In short, we could say because he first loved us, but here the psalmist goes into further detail because he loved me. He heard my voice. He has shown mercy on me. You see, prayer is our response to God's word. In fact, our worship service is laid out much like that, a a conversation, as it were. God speaks to us, and we respond back to him. Prayer, therefore, presupposes that God has spoken, as the catechism says. God has spoken to us. We listen, and therefore we respond. He has manifested himself in his word. And not only that God has spoken, but God has acted. Throughout the scriptures, you will see that God's speech and God's action are bound together. God speaks and his word is done. His word, in that sense, will not return void. It will accomplish everything he has sent it out to do. God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? Let there be fill in the blank, and there was fill in the blank. But he sustains all things as well by his word. With God, you see, there is not the difference between word and action like there often is with us. We love to make promises. We don't love so much to keep them, do we? We say things and then sometimes wish we could take those words back. But with God, when he speaks, he acts. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. See, when God hears our cries, when he hears our pleas for mercy, he acts upon them. He has compassion as a father does upon his children. And because God's voice is efficacious, you and I ought not to give up praying. Speaking to God. Spending much time in prayer. Oftentimes we look at prayer as just my request to God. God, these are things that I want. Would you help me with this? And would you help me with that? Would you help so-and-so to feel better? And we fill it with supplications. But all the while we forget about adoring God in our prayers. Hallowing His name. We forget to confess our sins. Oh, how important that is to confess our sins. Repent specifically of specific sins. And how little we give thanks to God in our prayers. Thanks for all those answered prayers he has given to us. Thanks for who he is. Thanks for what he has done. And this is really the central point of Psalm 116. We, from the heart, pray to the one true God only who has manifested himself in his word for all things he has commanded us to ask of him. Secondly, we must rightly and thoroughly know our need for misery. And so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. You and I need to know what it is that we need. And the fact is, we often are miserable. We have emotions that go up and down, don't we? offend us, we get hurt, we get tired, we get hungry, we get ornery, sometimes bitter. We express these things to God, who delights to hear his children. In fact, as we continue to read down, we see the snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress 
and anguish. In God's providence, Reverend Swale is preached at uh, Armour, who also extends to you greetings. And he preached from Psalm 18, which has this same sentiment from the psalmist. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. The snares of death were all around him, and he felt the pangs of the grave laying hold of him. He was in distress. He was in anguish. It was as if in the moment he cried out to the Lord for the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord did. It was as if there was, he was in such anguish that it was like the fingers of death were reaching up and grabbing a hold of him, pulling him down. He felt as if he just wanted to die, much like Jonah down in the depths of the sea, down in the belly of the whale, seaweed wrapped around his head. It seems like the death was about to happen. The pangs of death, the powers of Sheol, just about encompassing Jonah, and it was as if he had, actually, he had died and then three days later it came up. But our Lord really and truly did die, unlike Jonah. God gives a deliverance here to the psalmist as well. And so what does he respond? With thankfulness. Not a, so glad I was wise and I said the right thing or I restrained myself. So glad by my own strength I was able to make it through. By my own intelligence I passed the exam. No, there is a thankfulness to God. We must thank God. It is quite interesting. As far as I can recall, there is no account in Scripture where one Human thanks another human. Usually, thankfulness always goes to God. Thanks be to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul usually words it, I thank God for you. Because God is the one who gives all gifts. Now, you might hear people say that in good times, it is easy to forget God. And that is, that is true in many t- cases, isn't it? When you're going through difficult times, prayers are flowing out of our lips quite often. But when we are going through good times, it can be easy to forget God. And that's why God does often not leave us in our perilous comfort. That's why God oftentimes seems to go from one trial right into the next one. And sometimes you feel like, Lord, I, I was just getting a breather. Another trial? Another hard time? Oftentimes, it is the fact that death is the path to life. Cross is the way to glory. Truly, it was the case for Jesus. And he has called his followers to take up their cross and follow him. And so it is even in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our misery, we cry out to God just as the psalmist says, when he was experiencing this heartache, then I cried out to the Lord, O Lord, Please, I pray, deliver my soul. He's not just concerned about his body, mind you. He is concerned about his soul, first and foremost. If you don't know your misery, you won't see any reason to cry out to God. If you don't believe that God is the one who can deliver you, either through every trial or from those trials, then you will never cry out to him. 
So those were the first two things the catechism lists, but question 117 gives us a third reason. We must be fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. Aren't you glad that God always keeps his promises? God always keeps his promises. In fact, you will notice here in verses 5, 6, and 7, they begin with a meditation on the Lord. They continue then with a humble estimation of who we are. And then they conclude with an exhortation to our soul. Listen to it. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Did you see how that worked? He began with adoration. He began with acknowledging that God is a great God. He is the Lord. He is gracious. He is merciful. He preserves the simple. And then he he moves on to who we are. I was simple. I was brought low. And then he quickly moves on to what the Lord had done. The Lord saved my soul. So what should I do? You know, oftentimes when we go through trials and tribulations, we will find ourselves often asking other people for advice. And we listen to them. And many times when we finally hear the advice we were hoping to get... You say, ah, yep, finally got the advice that I wanted. Sometimes we will think over and over in our heads, replay it. Replay the scenario, the conversation we had with our neighbor or our friends, and more and more just spiral downward. Have you ever found yourself like that? Or you get together with a friend and you... You really don't want them to fix it. You just want to express your mind, to to vent to them. And for them to nod their head and agree that, man, you are in a very miserable place, aren't you? I'm so sorry. But that's not what the psalmist does here. That's not what he does. What does he do? He, he, He actually speaks truth to his soul. He speaks truth to his soul. Whenever I'm going through a hard time, my heart song, as it were, is Psalm 42. Oh, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall praise him still. He is my countenance and my aid. I often sing it, because I love to sing. And I often will get partway through that. I can't go on. Have to start over, speak truth to our souls, because the whole point of mercy is that it's undeserved, and we have to remind ourselves that. The whole point of grace is that it's undeserved, and we have to remind ourselves of that. We deserve whatever trial we're going through. We deserve much worse. But God is merciful, and God is gracious, and in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, God saved us. He hears our prayers. 
Not because we are so great, but because he is so gracious. And then we get to these very interesting words in verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. That's an amazing phrase. It's not a, a title you would want to ascribe to someone you're trying to flatter. To call them simple is kind of like us calling someone a simpleton or simple-minded. In other words, it's not a compliment. But here the psalmist is using it of himself. It is humble for the psalmist to identify himself with them and thereby acknowledging that it is gracious of God to have time for us, that he would actually hear our prayers. The psalmist has been humbled because he realizes how limited he is, how simple-minded he is. He recognizes that he doesn't know the answers to his trials. He doesn't know the answer to the question, why am I going through this? He doesn't know the answer to the question, why are they treating me like this? Simpleton just doesn't know. And that is okay. Because we know someone who does. God knows all things. Psalmist is humbled because he realizes how quickly he quivers in his faith like the apostles in a boat. Oh, ye of little faith. He realizes how quickly he fears in the face of danger. But then he also realizes how gracious God is to deal with him better than he ever deserves. And it leads him to refer to himself as the simple. The Lord preserves the simple. That's me. I'm simple-minded. And it's okay But he also recognizes that he is low. And when he is low, what happens? God saves him. You are bowed down under the burdens of your cares. Know that you can cast your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Take his yoke upon you. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this leads him to give a bit of self-exhortation to his own soul. How many times have we seen this in the Psalms? A lot of mutual exhortation when the psalmist exhorts you and me to respond to the providence of God or to the word of God in some way or another. But they contain as well a lot of self-exhortation. And here is just one of them in verse number 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This confidence in the very word of God and God's hearing my prayers contrasted with the psalmist's profound lack of confidence in himself and in others. In other words, one of the results of the Lord's answered prayer to the psalmist is peace. We do not gain peace from a lack of outward conflict. Let me say that a different way. Peace is not the lack of outward conflict. You all know this. 
Because you've known people who, in the midst of conflict, just seem to have a calmness about them. While others, when there seems to be no conflict, seem to lose their head. And so the psalmist can be at rest. And he exhorts his own soul. Soul, enjoy the rest that you ought to be experiencing because of the answer to the prayer that the Lord has given to you. And this response of gratitude goes on again to ascribe to the Lord the very work of the peace that is wrought within his own heart. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. In other words, he's saying, I was desperate. I I felt hopeless. I, I didn't feel like there was anywhere else to turn. But he throws this little phrase, I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. We could reword this a little bit differently to help perhaps explain that I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. So when I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars, he still has faith in God. In other words, these are desperate words, but they were not faithless words. There might not have been enough faith in them, but there was not a complete lack of faith. Even in those desperate times, even in those crazy moments, there was still that flicker of faith. I believed, even when I said I'm greatly afflicted, even when I, I didn't see hope in the near future, even when it seemed like all men were against me, they were lying The Apostle Paul quotes this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because there Paul also noted that human limitations were all around him. People are not reliable. People lie. But the psalmist, the apostle, and you and I have the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit who always speaks the truth. And that is God's word. And so we know the words to speak to our own souls. We know the promises that we can rest on, that we can stand on the promises of God through thick and thin, easy and difficult. Because God always keeps his promises. So whose promise do you trust? Whose word do you listen to? Prayer is a response to what God has said. God always keeps his promises. You will find lots of people who break their promises. Coaches who will say, I'll turn the team around. Politicians who said, I will turn this city around or this province around or this country around. The the media is packed full of prayers of the faithful from their hearts, calling upon their false gods who have revealed themselves by their empty words knowing their need and misery because they haven't won a championship in years. They haven't won the election. The politician didn't make everything right. And trusting this time all the promises will come true, they make promises yet again. But as the psalmist points out, all men are liars. Let God be true and every man a liar because only God is true. So when you pray, remember who God is. It might be a good practice for you, especially for you children as you are learning to pray, to try to think of five attributes of God, five things, and try to find five 
find five things each time you pray that are different from the ones before. You're like, well, that seems pretty easy. It, it, it can be. It can also be pretty difficult at times. You're like, I don't know if I can think of five. Well, think of four or three or even if it is just one. Remember who God is. And tonight we have learned that he is gracious and he is merciful. And there's a whole list of things. You can even ask mom and dad if you need some help. Or ask the minister if you wish. But remember that God keeps his promises. He is the one who is in control. He is the sovereign God. He's not your cosmic slot machine. Let's just pull the prayer handle and see if God gives me what I want this time. Remember, if God is the one who is supposed to follow your instructions, that makes you the God. And you're not to God. And so what can we do? We can pray that God would do as he promised. Mom and dad, have you ever been approached by your children and said, but you said, you're like, oh, I, I did, didn't I? And that, that moment, you're wondering if you can reinterpret what you said or you are trying to wonder how you can get out of this pickle that you put yourself in. Well, God never puts himself in a pickle. You can always go to God in your prayers and say, but you said, you promised Far too often we spend our time praying that God would do what we want. How about that God would fulfill his promise? If you'd be effective in your prayers and start praying for what God wants, do what you promised, oh God. Now some might say, well, that's just cheating. God has already promised to do that, so what's the point of praying for what God has already promised to do? Well, first of all, you are talking to God here. If you cannot ask him to do what he promised, then there's not much that you can ask him because he has made so many promises. They're endless. Find them in Scripture. I will never leave you or forsake you. There is one to start with this morning or this afternoon. Even more, think about, parents, how you relate to your children. After all, the baby needs food. You've promised to give him the food, and yet you still expect your children who can speak, to say, please. Will you feed him even if he doesn't say please? Well, eventually. But will he learn what he's supposed to learn if you do that every time? Well, of course not. You'll have to try again later. Prayer is about us speaking to God and asking God to fulfill his promises. So why aren't we to pray? Well, we give the we have the answer. So there's our content. But now, let's lastly, let's take a look at the necessity of our prayer, because Psalm one sixteen then turns to how we should respond to God's mercy in hearing our prayers. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. In other words, the psalmist wants to know what's the proper response to God. For all his blessings to me. What's the proper way to respond to God? Since God has answered this prayer, my heart is thankful. I am grateful to God. So what can I give him? And the language that he uses is the language of corporate worship. Look what he says. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? 
I will lift up the cup of salvation. Now that is a picture, perhaps a, in the Old Testament, a, a sacrifice of libation when a drink offering was poured out to the Lord. So that's something that happens in the temple as part of public worship. But it goes on and says, and call upon the name of the Lord. Now, it's true that sometimes in the Bible, calling on the Lord's name is a, a language for someone's prayer. But actually, usually, it's the language of public worship. The fact is, this is a common phrase you can find throughout the Scripture. You can even do a concordance search on this phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord. All the way that starts in Genesis chapter 4. In those days, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then several times throughout the scriptures, all these little dots throughout the Old Testament, that's a language for, port, for public worship, to call upon the name of the Lord. Not just in public worship, but with a heart to do so. And to finish that, it off, that, it's in the fact of what it means. Look at the very next verse. It says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of of all his people. So that gives us our context, a great response to all the blessings that God has given to you is public worship. The language of Peng's vows suggests that the psalmist had said, if you deliver me, then I will offer fill in the blank. Because in verse 17, the psalmist says that because God has loosed his bond. So clearly the psalmist says, what can I get to the Lord? I know I can go to corporate worship with a grateful heart and worship him for all he's worth. When it comes to singing, I will sing loudly. When the sermon is preached, I will listen closely. When the Bible is being read, I will pay close attention. I can pour myself out to him in grateful praise in the assembly of his people and give witness to the fact that he has heard my prayer. Public worship is a great response. That's what we can render to the Lord. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He goes on to say in verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Now this lets us know that it's not just public worship. His declaration is, Lord, I belong to you. I want to serve you. All that I am is, is yours. All that I have belongs to you. I want to live for your glory. I'm your servant. This is a living sacrifice that Romans 12 speaks about. Lord, here is what I give. I give me. Not just my time, my talents, my treasures. I give me. That hymn says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. Now, isn't it interesting? If you listen and if you read carefully, it might sound a little confusing. I'm your servant. You've loosed my bonds. Hold on. Let's put that one together. I'm your slave. You've loosed my bonds. He wants to belong to the Lord. And it's not just the bonds of death that the Lord has loosed for me. He's loosed the bonds of unwilling servitude. 
And he's replaced it with a desire to serve the Lord. He wants to serve the Lord. He will serve the Lord, but he's not doing so in chains. He's willingly serving the Lord. Remember that the psalmist began with, I love the Lord. And as 1 John 5 states, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and they are not grievous. They're not burdensome. My secret heart, in other words, is taught this truth that makes God's children free. How often we, especially in a Reformed world, struggle with antinomianism, that is, those against God's law, versus legalism, those who add it to God's law. And we're always struggling to find where we ought to be somewhere in the middle. But I would dare say it actually isn't between the two at all because both of those share a common problem. They're not serving the Lord out of love. Those whom you love and you love dearly, ask yourself, what would you do for them? Like, I would give my life for them. I would do anything for them. That's the kind of love you need to have for your Lord. A life of self-renouncing love, that is true liberty. I'm free, he's saying. And now that I'm free, all I want to do is just serve you. And that's what I want to do. That's what I do with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I render it back to you, Lord. And then he goes right back to the language of public worship again. Look with me at verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. So he repeats himself as this almost like bookends there. Do you realize that that's one of the things that public worship does? Because when you come to public worship with your heart that is filled with joy and gratitude, eager to serve and worship the Lord, you are, you are giving testimony to how the Lord has given an answer to your prayer, professing your love for the Lord and your determination to pray to Him in all of life, no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation. It encourages your brothers and sisters because the spirit, their spiritual life then is filled with ups and downs all week long, with a, a long, dry march in the wilderness, you could say, and then they come together and they worship together. As Hebrews 10.25 says, that we are to encourage one another to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. Why? Exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And gathering in the house of the Lord in the context of shared life of the fellowship of God's people, hearing the testimony of God's word is like cool water poured upon the lips of times and we are in the wilderness and in the desert. So why ought we to pray? Well, the contents of our prayer we have seen and the necessity of our prayer. And I hope that this encourages you to pray without ceasing. Let us close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We do love you because you listen to our prayers, and so we will pray to you until our last breath. Lord, we know that precious in the sight 
of God is the death of your saints, your godly ones. So help us to understand this word and to believe, to trust even when we are pressed, to cry out, I am greatly afflicted and there is no hope from man. For as we have confessed twice now today, our help is in the name of the Lord. It's not in the hills. Remind us that our help is in the name of the Lord and abide with us. You who are the help of the helpless. We pray this all in Jesus' name.